the other day my wife came in the room and she asked me, if you could know, would you want to know how and when you were going to die? I thought for a moment and said, no, I don't think I would. She said, okay, never mind. (laughs) That actually didn't happen. I was quoting someone else. Stephen Wright, a stand-up comedian from the 1990s. If you don't know who Stephen Wright is, there's a huge deficit in your education, which can be, which can be healed with a short visit to YouTube. I didn't want you to think that actually happened to me. But I guess some people would want to know when and how they're going to die, because it seems like there's a lot of people who want to know when and how the whole human story comes to an end. There's lots of speculation about there, about, out there about the end of humanity and the end of the world and all these kind of things, all kinds of apocalyptic catastrophes, global cooling, global warming, and asteroids and viruses and nuclear holocausts. And this was new. I just learned about this this week. Genetic mutations that will cause infertility and the whole human race will die out. A number of creative picturings of the end of humanity. And I guess, in a way, Christians aren't immune from this kind of speculation. Of course, we don't speculate about the end of humanity. But we speculate about the end of the reign of evil in this age. And our readings this morning provide a foundation for all kinds of views on the end of this age, the coming of God's kingdom, the return of Christ. And there's lots of questions buried in these readings with lots of answers. In our Mark reading, for example, is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem? Or is he talking about his return to earth to reign over God's kingdom? Or kind of both? Speaking of God's kingdom, is God's kingdom here on earth now? Or is it coming in the future? Or is it kind of both? Are we now building the kingdom that Jesus will reign over? Or will he impose it directly on his return? Or is it kind of both? Will there be a time of tribulation before the coming return of Christ or not? Do those days and times that Daniel mentioned provide some kind of schedule of this tribulation? Will there be a rapture of some sort or not? And what events might precede it? In looking at these readings... And thinking about all these questions, I'd like to take as the text of my sermon a passage from the reading from Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. I heard, but I did not understand. I suppose I could engage in speculation for a while about what I don't understand. And I don't mind a bit of speculation from the pulpit from a brief moment or two, as long as it's clearly marked that way. But I'd rather not devote an entire sermon to speculating about what I don't understand, and I'm guessing you would probably appreciate it if I didn't, and rather talk about what I do know for sure. Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, once said, it's not the part of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the part of the Bible that I do understand that bothers me. What I do know for sure, and what Anglicans officially hold to be the only sure thing we can say about the matter is what we proclaim every Sunday in our communion service. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. 
And we can say that Christ will come again. Because if you believe, as I do, all that Jesus said and did in his earthly ministry, then we have to believe the last thing he told us, that he would return to us. And if you're going to believe that Jesus performed all these miracles, that he died for our salvation, that he rose from the dead, and that he ascended into heaven, then you have to believe what he said before he left, I'm going to return. And I'm happy to proclaim that Jesus will return. And how and when he does so, and what happens before, I'm happy to leave up to the Father. But without speculation, what do we know about Christ's return? What in these readings is clear to us? Readings that for a lot of people sound scary and frightening. And yet I want to say that buried inside these readings are some things that we can find that are reassuring. Just quickly here, three reassuring things to pull from our readings this morning. First, it's apparent that God the Father has a plan. That from the very beginning, or at least close to the beginning, God the Father has had a plan. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus touches on the same topic of the day of his return, Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And yet even during Jesus' lifetime, Jesus says the Father has a plan for the day of my return. At the beginning of time, at least as we understand it, God the Father had a picture of the universe, had a picture of planet Earth, populated by humans he had created to be in his image. Humans created in the image of God. Whatever that word, that phrase, image of God means, what it means is what the words mean in Hebrew. It means a reflection of God. That there's something about human beings which is like God, which reflects something about God into the universe. He creates human beings in his image. He tells them to reproduce, to cover the earth. And it's like God the Father's idea is that the entire planet earth would be covered with little reflections of God. But then you know the story. We fell. That image of God was defaced in some way. But the Father came up with a plan to bring the restoration not only of the human race, but of the entire universe to the way he had planned it to be. And so briefly, that's the first reassuring thing here. We aren't hurtling towards some type of apocalyptic catastrophe that nobody knows about. What we're hurtling towards is the restoration of the universe according to a plan that God the Father has had since the start of the story. The second thing that I find reassuring in these readings is that we're promised persecution. I don't know why is that reassuring. Because along with that promise, we're given the promise that there will be endurance. Endurance in the face of these difficult times. Whether Mark is talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, or if he's talking about his own return at the end of time, or both, Jesus says tough times are coming. Don't be afraid. Don't be surprised, Jesus says, when tough times show up. I'm telling you all this ahead of time. 
Elsewhere, Jesus says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But be not dismayed, Jesus says, for I've overcome the world. Jesus tells us we're going to face tribulation, but we can find that to be reassuring because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. In all four of these readings, we're told the story of endurance. Daniel has promised that those who are wise, and we know what wisdom means in the Old Testament, to be aligned with God, to be seeking God. Those who are wise will endure the coming time. Jesus says almost the same thing in Mark, that those who take him seriously, listen to his words, will endure. This entire passage from Hebrews in this context is fascinating because the author of Hebrews is talking to people who've already been through a time of persecution. They've experienced a brief period of persecution and now life is looking better for them. That persecution has lifted. But the author here reminds them, don't you remember what you went through during that persecution? You were insulted or you were friends of those who were insulted? Imagine that you're, you're insulted or someone you love is being insulted. You've got to stand next to them. He says, you went and visited your brothers and sisters in Christ when they were in prison. How about that for putting a big target on yourself? You're going to go visit your fellow brothers and sisters in prison. You're risking walking into the place where they put people in prison for believing what you believe. But you went. You lost your property to this persecution. You faced all these hardships But he says, you endured. You've shown yourself you can endure. You can endure the hardships. You can even endure persecution. And the third point that I find reassuring in these readings is the promise of the resurrection. It's buried there in our psalm for today, Psalm 16, which David says, You won't allow your Holy One to see corruption. You won't allow me to be abandoned in hell. Now David knew that he had a descendant who would reign over an eternal kingdom. He'd been told this by the prophet Nathan. Now if he has a descendant who's going to reign over an eternal kingdom, then that descendant can't die. Well, that's what David thought. The twist to the story is that that descendant would die, but that he would be resurrected. You might say, well, that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not the one making the stretch. The Apostle Peter made that stretch. Somewhere else, the Apostle Paul made that stretch. Both Peter and Paul, under different circumstances, went back to Psalm 16 and said David had no idea what he was really writing about. What he was really writing about was Jesus that God the Father would not allow Jesus to see corruption, in other words, to rot in the grave, but that Jesus would be restored, his body would be restored, transformed in some way, but still the same body. And in our service, we affirm every Sunday that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. This is not a simplistic formula or a simple summary. Each sentence is linked to the other. Jesus will return. Christ will come again. But even more so, Christ is risen. He'll return with the power of the resurrection. And that power of the resurrection is for those who are buried with him 
in death. Those who share in his death will share in his resurrection. Now at this point, I'm not going to say much more about that because our entire communion service is about 20 more minutes of the rest of my sermon. Listen for that explanation. Jesus will return. He'll return with the power of the resurrection for those who are buried with him in death. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.